If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in. Wins and losses podcast with OutKick. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We've got a special Saturday edition of the podcast today. For a lot of you, there was a uh, a wild story on Friday which illuminated many of the hypocrisies that currently exist in the sporting universe, particularly with the NBA and ESPN and what I would call the woke center universe of uh, the far left-wing sports that is trying to take over all of the discussion. And uh, a lot of that centered around Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, who completely called uh, the NBA and ESPN on their hypocrisies, and he's joining us now. Senator, first of all, uh, bravo, because Jason Whitlock and myself have been talking about a lot of the issues that you brought to a head in a way uh, that, 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 frankly, outside of the media I have not seen. So we'll get into a lot of that. But first, I just want to say thanks for actually taking the step and illuminating what is, to me, a glaring and transparent as example of hypocrisy in the world of sports. Well, well, you bet. And thanks for having me. Thanks for all of the, the great work and coverage that uh, you're providing at OutKick. Uh, all right, so let's dive in. I like to start off by kind of letting people figure out the background of who we're talking to. And we're going to get into the China and the NBA debacle, uh, which I know you've been a part of, and I believe you were in Hong Kong viewing the protest for yourself uh, back in October of last year. And for people out there who are like, well, we'll get into that, but this is something that you have been talking about. This is something that I've been talking about for a long time, even before uh, the NBA got involved. And we're going to get to China and the United States relationship in a second. But first of all, your background. I'm kind of fascinated by this. You went to, if I'm not mistaken, Stanford undergrad and then to Yale Law. And you went to Stanford coming out of uh, a school in Kansas City, but after having grown up in Missouri. Was it a culture shock for you to travel from Missouri all the way out to Palo Alto to Stanford? And the reason why I ask is I grew up in Nashville and then went away to college in Washington, D.C. And even growing up in Nashville, I just wasn't prepared for what the East Coast would be like. I'm curious if the West Coast was an initial culture shock for you and what you thought about Stanford while you were out there. 
Yeah, no, it, it was a culture shock for sure. Uh, I, I grew up in a, in a town of uh, not quite 5,000 people in rural Missouri, uh, which I'm really proud of. I mean, I'm a small-town boy, and, and uh, my wife and I uh, in Missouri uh, live in, now in a small-town Ozark, Missouri, uh, there. So, uh, you know, proud of that background and went to Catholic high school, as you say, in the KC. In fact, I grew up, get this way, I grew up uh, reading Whitlock because he was at the Star when I was in high school. Oh, that's so, fantastic. Um, yeah, so I don't know if that makes me young or him old, or, or maybe both of us are old. But uh, you can give that later. Anyhow, but uh, yeah, that's my background. I also grew up playing sports. So sports were an important part of, of my life, and as they are for a lot of uh, well, a lot of kids everywhere, but a lot, especially small-town kids. So I started playing baseball when I was five, and then uh, football was the big one, though. My dad actually played football at a uh, little college out in Kansas, and so I I grew up hearing stories about that, so I started playing peewee football with the pads and all when I was, I believe I was eight, seven or eight was the first time we could do it, and I played all through high school and wanted to play in college, you know, it was one that was uh, like a lot of guys, like, oh man, I'm going to play in college, and wasn't good enough to do that, but uh, had a good college experience, but yet to your to your point, it was a, it was certainly a different culture, and uh, you know, I'm glad for my years uh, at Stanford and Yale, and I often say, uh, uh, these days, I'm pretty critical of uh, people who, uh, the elites, as I as I say, who go to schools like that. And people sometimes say to me, "Well, how could? Why do you say that? I mean, you you went there." And my answer is, "Yeah, I, I did." And so I know exactly what they think. I mean, don't tell me that these people don't look down, many of them, on uh, folks who have the kind of background uh, that you and I have, and, and folks who work for a living. I mean, I I know what they think because I went there. I've I've heard it all. And I've seen it, and uh, you know, it was it was good for me to clarify my own beliefs uh, during those times, to clarify what I thought, and kind of be put through the the test. Because I can tell you, when you're a when you're a Midwestern or conservative going to those schools, you do not get a free pass. I mean, as as you know, and uh, you've got to learn to defend yourself. And so that was all good. So you talked about growing up uh, a fan of sports and playing sports. What were your teams? Were you a, a big Missouri fan? Were you a college football fan? Uh, were you a uh, is it sometimes a fractious relationship, I know, between the Royals and uh, and Cardinal fans. What what teams did you grow up diehard rooting for the most when you were a kid? Well, Chiefs for sure. You know, so Lexington, Missouri, which is my hometown, it's about an hour east of Kansas City, right on the Missouri River. And so we were in the Kansas City media market. So Chiefs, you know, I mean, absolutely. In fact, I could, this, this, this whole experience the last couple of seasons, Patrick Mahomes coming to us, and of course the Super Bowl was – you know, for for me, for a, a kid who grew up a Chiefs fan, was was just truly dream come true because I can remember vividly the Montana years. That's the beginning of my high school experience, and I can remember I know right where I was when uh, the Chiefs. I, I could still sitting in a sitting in a booth at a little local diner in Lexington watching the game when when uh, Montana and the Chiefs lost in the AFC Championship. So I, I remember that vividly. So getting back and then winning that and getting on to the Super Bowl, winning that has been like you know kind of. It, it, it's kind of uh, bringing it full circle and, and maybe working out some karma there. So anyhow, that's been awesome. But Chiefs for sure, Royals uh, because we're on the west side of the state. So uh, I've since then, you know, sort of made my peace with the Cardinals. I, I love the Cards. I cheer for them. But I'll, I'll just be honest. I've said this to Cards fans: like if if you know Royals are playing the Cards, I'm going to cheer for the Royals. Uh, so I grew up a, a big Royals fan. Grew up going to the games. Uh, old enough that I I can remember seeing George Brett play. And going to those games was uh, a big what part about of Bo uh, our childhood. You had to be a big Bo oh, Jackson yeah. fan uh-huh. back in the I day, too. Bo Jackson. 
Yeah, I did. I, I, I got to see Jackson was there when I was a little kid. And, yeah. uh, oh, yeah, I mean, he was just, you know, he was obviously a superstar and, and uh, an, an idol of mine. I mean, uh, growing up, I, you know, the, the playing uh, uh, on the other coast, as he did for football, was, you know, too bad he couldn't play in Kansas City. But, uh, no, yeah. he, he was amazing. So uh, where were you for the Super Bowl? Did you watch it at home with friends, family? At home, were you, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so how nervous not, do you no. get? So I, I'm a Titans Very. fan. So uh, full disclosure. So you ruined uh, my boy's fall uh, with uh, and, and also their dad. Um, but we made an unexpected run to the AFC championship game, obviously. But I find Patrick Mahomes to be, you know, sort of like Steph Curry in that it's almost impossible to dislike him. He seems to play with yeah. such an effervescent personality. And obviously he's a, an incredible talent. But as a long-suffering, I think it's probably fair to say Kansas City Chiefs fan because you're around my age, so you have seen a lot of losses over the years in the playoffs and everything else. He has to feel like uh, just an unbelievable gift from the sporting gods, right? Totally. Oh, totally. And now I've got two little boys of my own. My older boy is seven and my younger boy is five. And uh, so to be able to watch the games – with them and to have yeah. them, they're just old enough this year. I mean, we watched them last year together as in the season before this past one and when they were six and four, but uh, to have them be able to, to watch the games and kind of get into it a little bit more this year, there's something I think, you know, as a father, there's something special about that. Um, especially if the game has meant something, the team has meant something to you or for me, really, to be honest, it kind of brought back memories. My dad was my coach when I was playing peewee football, little league football, um, up until I went to high school. And so there was just something about sharing that with my own boys that brought back memories of, of, of my childhood with my dad coaching me. And, and that there's just, you know, that's an awesome thing. So that, to, to I'll be honest, that was the best part about watching the game. And my kids helped keep me calm because they, you know, yeah. they understood that we were down and, you know, they could tell, but, you know, they're seven and five. If they were like, oh, we're going to win, daddy, we're going to win. Yeah. You know, and daddy was like, man, I'm sweating it by the end of the in the third, but uh, anyhow, it was uh, it was good. And of course, they could, my younger boy can still rattle off the score, and he tell you what it was. the other day he said to his mom, "Well, at halftime, mama, the score was this and that, and we were down." And I was like, "Man, that stayed with him." Uh, so yeah. pretty cool. No, I, I what I have found, I've got three boys, twelve, nine, and five, and what I have found is so amazing about it is it takes you back because everybody can kind of get jaded as you get older about sports you learn some of the uh, less uh, exhilarating parts let's say of uh, of the sporting universe and what a business it is but going back and being able to see it through your kids eyes kind of takes you back in time and reminds you of what it was like to be seven eight nine years old yourself uh, when you were a fan it's it's one of the coolest things I think about about being a dad certainly as it relates to sports now I, I'm fascinated by something else uh, in your background you were uh, you clerked after you graduated from Yale Law School, and you ended up on the Supreme Court clerking for John Roberts. Uh, I believe you met your wife there, but I've always been fascinated as a guy who went to Vanderbilt Law School. I never did any of the clerk uh, experience, but one of my classmates was a Supreme Court clerk, and it's just such an august, incredible, unique accomplishment. What was that like for you to be a clerk on the Supreme Court, and what was that experience like? Well, I did indeed meet my wife there, as you said, so it worked out great for me. I'm not sure that yeah. her family still thinks it was a great year for her, <laughs> but uh, but it was a great year for me, and, and we're coming up on the 10 years of marriage, actually, this month. Um, but uh, now, you know, clearly the court, I mean, the thing about getting to work at the Supreme Court is that you get to see 
so many cases, first of all, because the court gets about 10,000 requests a year to hear cases. I mean, that's how many requests come in from the lower courts, and, and they only hear, well, heck, this year they only heard 50-some. My year they heard about 70 cases. So a fraction, small, small fraction uh, of the cases they get requests for, do they actually hear grant search is the is a formal term for that. So uh, you just see so many cases and you get to learn so much about different parts of the law, and then you get to see great lawyers too. I mean, you, you know, the arguments. I went to every argument uh, that uh, we had at the court that year, um, and, and you know, it's it's just fascinating. You, you learn uh, so much, and and uh, I've got tremendous respect uh, for the court as an institution. I tell you, I'm not very happy with it this year. That's a different subject, uh, but um, you know, I, I I learned a lot, and it made a big difference to me. That's the kind of law I went on to practice. Then I became a constitutional lawyer. My, my my wife as well. In fact, my wife still practices, and uh, that's really my my experience of the court really uh, shapes that. So did you? So a couple of things that I think are interesting uh, in the background of the court. Did you play in the highest court in the land? The, the basketball uh, gym that was there was there a league? Was there any kind of regular basketball game that would take place there? I did play up there, and in fact, uh, the year that I was there, uh, the uh, the Jayhawks. Uh, from neighboring Kansas, uh, won the uh, the national the NCAA national championship, the national basketball championship, uh, which was you know a little, a little hard to take uh, being uh, being a Missouri boy. But they came to the reason I mentioned it is the chief justice, who's also a big sports fan. Uh, the chief justice invited them to come to the Supreme Court when they made their DC trip, and you know, they got invited to the White House. The chief justice said, "Well, why don't you come to the Supreme Court?" And then he had. It's a truly masterstroke idea. He said, let's invite him to do a scrimmage, a shoot-around, at the <laughs> highest court in the land, which they did. So it was kind of awesome. So even though it was you know, Kansas, it was kind of awesome to see those guys up at the, at the highest court in the land, up there shooting around. And, and you know, we got to go out there with them, and, and uh, then we had them for lunch and all that stuff. But, yeah, the, the, the clerks would uh, get together and, and play from time to time. I'll be honest with you, basketball is, is uh, not my sport. But um, it's you know it's 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 awesome to be up there and and to to be able to to think about you know this is a court that not only have the justices played on over the years Michael Jordan has played on that court Clarence Thomas uh, was friends with Jordan I think still is and invited him to come and so he's he shot around on that court and you know so that's pretty cool now the thing about it is I don't know if you've seen it Clay but the ceiling in that court because it wasn't designed to be a basketball court it's right above the main courtroom. Oh, so wow. the ceiling is low up there. Yeah, you basically can't shoot a three-pointer. I mean, not with any any kind of arc at all. So it's a low ceiling. And then the other thing is being above the main courtroom, there's these stories from back in the 80s when the court would be in session hearing oral arguments. And a couple of clerks who were supposed to be in their seats in the courtroom listening decided, you know what, this would be a good opportunity for us maybe just to shoot a few baskets. And they go up and do, <laughs> and they could hear the basketballs <laughs> bouncing in the courtroom. So since then, during oral argument, they literally rope off the court just in case, you know, somebody should want to wander out there. So it's pretty fun. How many of the justices are legitimate sports fans, would you say? Uh, because I always think that's interesting. Uh, everybody obviously uh, has serious things in their life. And for most people, 
sports are an escape from that serious part of their life. John Roberts, it sounds like, is a pretty good sports fan. Were there other justices that you heard talking about sports? And some guys can fake it, right, or girls, you know, like you know that they're not really fans. Did, did, was there like a legitimate sports relationship at all that you picked up on when you were clerking? Yeah, it's, it, uh, Justice Thomas is a big sports fan, in my yeah. observation. Uh, Love sports, um, you know, uh, follow sports. And uh, like I said, you know, friends with athletes. I mean, that so Justice Thomas for sure. And yeah, the Chief Justice uh, is both himself, you know, played uh, played high school football rather, and that was kind of a, a formative experience for him. Uh, and uh, you know, continues he he was or used to be at least a, a golfer, and continues to do that and follows that very very closely. Uh, so now the courts changed a uh, pretty fair amount since I've I've been there. Yes. So I don't know a lot of the new justices, but I it would seems say like Kavanaugh is a pretty big. Pretty big fan, I, and I hear that. And he, he, he of course, wasn't uh, wasn't there when I was there. But um, yeah, out of the ones who were there when I was around, I would say probably uh, yeah, Justice Thomas and, and the Chief Justice were the two biggest sports fans that I knew of. Maybe others were, but I I didn't I didn't hear him talk about it. But I heard the Chief and I heard Justice Thomas talk about it on a regular basis. It was not uncommon for the Chief Justice to say to us, his group of clerks are here. He'd say, "Hey, did you see the game last night? Can you believe, you know, can you believe they missed that field goal? Did, did you see the putt that Tiger Tiger was still playing? I guess he's playing again now, but he was at height uh, then. Yeah. You know, did you see that putt that Tiger hit? That kind of thing. That was pretty common. And of course, we would always complain to him, like we, we didn't get to see any of that, Chief, because you had stuff working. <laughs> I mean, we were. <laughs> How many hours would you work a day when you were a clerk? Like, what was your typical uh, day? It was, you know, it's, it's, clerks make it sound worse than it is. It's for one thing, it's only a year, you know, and you can A, do anything for a year. And B, it's such, it's such a great experience that you want to soak up all of it. You know, I mean, you'd be an idiot to say, oh, you know, I, I got to have two weeks of vacation, which by the way, we did not get. But, uh, you know, that you'd be stupid to do that over that experience. But, you know, there were some long days and, and then there were some more normal days. Uh, the justices, and again, this more than 10 years ago now, I'm dating myself, but uh, the justices are pretty hard workers. Um, and, you know, they would, uh, we were certainly, let me put it to you this way, anytime the chief justice is in chambers, we were expected to be there. I mean, there was no doubt about that. Like, if, you know, if he was in and, and his routine was back then, he'd drop off his uh, young son, um, who's now all grown up, but he'd drop him off in the morning at school and, and come into the court and, and work all day and they work on the way home and we need to be available. So, and you know, we work weekends, um, when we needed to, which was a good, a good portion of the time. Uh, but it, it was, it was such an, a great experience that, um, you know, it, it's one that, uh, that I wish for everybody who, who loves the law and is interested in the law. And like I said, it made a huge difference for me starting out my career. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes 
that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, well, I'll skip ahead. You you are now a senator uh, from Missouri. We're talking with Josh Hawley, and... Uh, you uh, obviously are very accomplished um, in what you've done since then, and getting on the Supreme Court as a clerk is a, is a heck of an accomplishment for, I know, many people who are listening who are at least familiar with the legal field in any way, so is going to Stanford and getting into Yale Law School. Um, but what, what we are uh, focused on here, and I just kind of wanted to give people a background, I'm, I was fascinated by it myself, is uh, I believe, and I think you probably agree with me, and you're, we're around the same age, born in the same year, we kind of grew up, you and I did, on the tail end of the Cold War with the United States and Russia. And I believe that we are in what should be classified in some way as a Cold War with China right now, and that China is taking advantage of some of the difficulties going on right now around the globe, which frankly they caused, uh, the coronavirus, to continue to take more and more of the rights away from people in the vicinity of China who have had them, whether that be Hong Kong, which is going on right now and we're going to get into, or certainly I think they would like to uh, to reclaim Taiwan. I think that's certainly one of their goals. The South China Sea, the aggressive moves that they're making there to try to control more of the area around uh, China. Would you agree with me that the United States, probably the biggest threat that we face right now, is China on a variety of different fronts and that it feels a little bit, at least like to me, uh, very Russia-like in the Cold War from when I was a kid uh, and, and what was America was going through at the time. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I just don't think there's any doubt that China is our biggest national security threat, probably our biggest economic threat of the century. And it's going to be like this uh, for the rest of our lifetimes. I don't have any doubt, by the way, who is going to emerge from this as number one. It's going to be us. But we've, you know, we've got some work to do. And uh, this is, you know, this is life, right? I mean, this is, this is part of it. You're going to have people who don't like America, uh, who want to knock America off its pedestal. China's been trying to steal our jobs 
with some success, uh, too much success, and steal our, our technology, steal our property. They've been doing all of that for decades now, and I think, frankly, that the D.C. establishment has been asleep at the wheel on this for way too long. But uh, we've, we've got some work here to do to stop uh, what China is trying to do, what they're trying to take from us, stop them from, from inserting themselves. They want to be a global, not just a global power, Clay, they really want to be the global power, and they see that differently than we do. You know, they see that as they want to control. I mean, them being in charge is them controlling the world and controlling us, and we can't let that happen. Okay, so this grew, the the intersection of sports and China, some people who have not followed this case closely but are listening to us now, uh, back in October, the, uh, the NBA, which has had a very deep relationship with China as they've expanded their brand around the world, uh, the NBA was on a, sort of a goodwill tour around Asia, and the Houston Rocket GM, Daryl Morey, tweeted, free Hong Kong as a part of the Hong Kong protests and all hell basically broke loose in terms of the NBA's relationship with China. And uh, before I get into the specifics of that, you actually traveled over to China to witness the Hong Kong protest for yourself, I understand, back in October uh, of last year. Uh, and we've certainly seen this relationship devolve. I mean, in fact, all of the protesters and what they were protesting for has been proven to be 100% true, maybe even stunning to me, maybe to you as well, how quickly China has moved to curtail those basic uh, human rights and freedoms in Hong Kong. But what did you see on your trip in October as these protests were going on? Yeah, I needed to go and, and see it for myself. That's the reason I went. I just we, I had talked to the protesters uh, from afar, you know, from, from uh, here in the States. But I, I, just, I just decided that, you know what, I, I've, I've got to see this. So I went to Hong Kong today, and, and uh, I did. I didn't want to stay uh, cooped up in a, in a hotel somewhere. We got out on the streets, uh, much to the consternation of, of uh, I think, some of the diplomatic corps. But there you go. Um, so we went out and, and uh, were out on the streets with the protesters in several different locations. And, you know, saw, saw what was going on. It was the real deal. Um, and uh, I will just say that, you know, seeing up close and personal what the authoritarian regime in Beijing was willing to do and were doing to their own people, not allowing them to assemble. Uh, you know, we take for granted a lot of our rights in the United States. In the United States, we allow folks to assemble and protest peacefully, even a lot of times without a permit. I mean, you know, technically in most places you're supposed to get a permit. But, you know, here in the U.S., a lot of times like, hey, if, you know, if it's peaceful, we'd let you do it. There in Hong Kong, and this was back in October, you couldn't even get a permit. I mean, these protesters were asking, would you please give us a permit, which they were entitled to under law? Nope. Then they were clubbing them down. They were spraying them down. They were arresting teenagers, throwing them into prison, beating them viciously. And I saw it. I saw all of this on, on the streets. And so it just, to me, it was such a vivid example of the way Beijing does business, you know, and what they have done to us for years in taking our jobs, in stealing our property, in trying to build their military on the backs of our middle class. That has been their modus operandi for decades now. You could you could see that same spirit out on the streets of Hong Kong as they beat their own people. I mean, the Hong Kong people, let's not forget, they're Chinese, for sake. They're out there beating their own people uh, arresting them, spraying them, macing them, you know, threatening them, shooting them in some instances. 
Um, you know, with no, the protesters have no weapons, but their, their, uh, thug police had weapons shooting them openly. It's just crazy stuff. And that just shows you, I think, what Beijing's mentality is. And so Daryl Morey, the Houston Rockets GM, says free Hong Kong. And the NBA ultimately has their exhibition games. There's all this controversy. Uh, to me, the NBA players, the coaches, Adam Silver, they bent the knee. Uh, and, and to use a LeBron James phrase uh, that, that he likes to claim that he'll never do, LeBron shut up and dribbled and, uh, and, and bowed down to his Chinese overlords. We saw the same thing happen with Steve Kerr and Greg Popovich, two coaches who are quick to rip everything Donald Trump says. But when Steve Kerr was specifically asked about that situation, he said, you know, do you, he was asked, do you support protests in Hong Kong? He said, well, that's a complex situation. He still hasn't said anything. And now the protests uh, have clearly been proven to be uh, the, the, these guys knew what was going on because China has swept in. They passed new rules. You can go to jail for years if you protest. They are literally pulling books out of libraries in Hong Kong that have to do uh, with the uh, with with democracy there. And so this is this is for Americans who really haven't been paying a lot of attention to this. This is Orwellian what China is doing. They are taking over in Hong Kong. And it is a horrible sign of what might be to come. And frankly, I think the United States has been asleep at the wheel and has not been aggressive enough in condemning what's going on in Hong Kong. Yeah, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right about what's going on there. I mean, it, it's democracy is over now in Hong Kong. I mean, that's just the sad, the sad but stark truth. The Beijing has passed. They call it a law, by the way, Clay. I always, I always to fall when I say that because you know there is no legislature in Beijing. They don't elect anybody. It's all fake. And so you know, Beijing has said, we're passing a national security law. Well, it's not a law. It's an edict handed down on high from the Chinese Communist Party, a bunch of unelected thugs. But they've, they've put it into operation in Hong Kong, and it, it means now no more, no more protests, no more assembly, no more free speech, no more right to worship. None of that stuff. Yanking all of it. And you've seen it already. What they've done is they, they put that new law into effect, that edict. They swept up protesters. You can't now. Some protesters out in Hong Kong have, have tried to hold up just blank signs. Clay, they don't say anything. There's no message on them that could be, uh, that could be uh, in any way destabilizing, whatever that might mean. And these protesters are getting arrested for holding up blank signs. I mean, it's just there's no rule of law. This is just it is pure authoritarianism now. And uh, that is, again, it shows you what Beijing hopes, frankly, for the world, but certainly for any area that is under their control. And they, they want to just raise Hong Kong to the ground, essentially, in terms of its freedoms. And then they want to turn their sights. You mentioned Taiwan earlier. They want to do that to Taiwan. And the reason we care is, number one, of course, we care about the fate of free people anywhere. I mean, we are, we're a free nation. I still believe in the free world. I mean, I believe in that thing called the free world. We're a free people in America. And so, you know, we, we, our hearts are with free people everywhere, number one. But number two, we care about our own security. And the truth is, a China that is so emboldened that they will break all of their treaty commitments because they have them with Hong Kong, they'll break them in order to put that city on the ground. And then we'll try to take over Taiwan, and then we'll try to extend their dominance all over the world. That is dangerous, to put it mildly, to the United States of America.
Africa. There's nothing more threatening to our jobs or our security than this kind of imperialism in China, and that's what we're up against. And one of the things that you can talk about for the purposes of sports is this idea that sports can help to raise awareness and consciousness of what might be going on. And that rather than bow down to the Chinese overlords, as the NBA has done, and basically put Daryl Morey in witness protection ever since he said free Hong Kong. Uh, And so the NBA has made the decision, okay, we're going to make statements on our jerseys. And this is where your connection to the NBA and uh, ESPN and Disney came in. We're recording this on uh, Saturday Yesterday, on a Friday, you released a letter which asked Commissioner Adam Silver why the NBA was allowing certain statements to be made on a jersey, but for instance, they wouldn't allow anybody to put free Hong Kong on their jerseys or support the Chinese people who are consuming the NBA content uh, and will see these games. In theory, the NBA is doing what I think you would agree with me is sort of a fake wokeness, right? They will rip American institutions and they will rip American values, which will then be used as Chinese propaganda, right? Because all these Chinese communists are going to be showing the NBA in their country and they're going to say, see, look, everything is not great in America. Look at all the things and ways that they're being mistreated. And this could be if the NBA wants to get political with their jerseys, Why are they being hypocritical, bowing down to China and their communist leadership while ripping the United States? And you raised this issue with Adam Silver and all hell broke loose uh, again there as well. But what was the intent of your letter to the NBA? The NBA makes a tremendous amount of money in China. I mean, just a tremendous amount of money. And then this is where... This is where I think the NBA has some obligations, right? I mean, even before they started this stuff about putting social justice cause statements on the back of, of the uniforms just recently, now their relationship with China is now pretty longstanding. And when you're making that much money in that kind of a place, doing deals with that sort of a government, which is what the NBA corporate is doing, then I think when you've got a situation like we've had in Hong Kong or like you've got with the Uyghurs who are a religious minority who are literally in concentration camps in China, in concentration camps now, I think you've got some responsibility to say something about that. At least say that, well, my gosh, we don't agree with with that. But, you know, I mean, the NBA's what's their latest contract just this past year worth over $1.5 billion. I mean, it's just unbelievable the amount of money. You mentioned the, the you know, sort of the woke stance that the NBA is taking. It's corporate. It's classic corporate wokeness. You know, it's nothing that would interfere with profits, for heaven's sake. I mean, you know, profits, oh, my gosh, we're going to get those. And nothing that would interfere with our, our multinational plan to scoop up money in all of these different markets you know, for so many American corporations, if that means selling out the American worker, sending jobs overseas, oh, by golly, we'll do that in a heartbeat. But don't, you know, oh, but, but we're woke. You know, don't get mad at us because we're woke. It's really a huge distraction to try and, and move attention away from what they're really doing, what these huge corporations are really doing. And the NBA is right there in terms of the money they are making in China and the kind of deal that they have made uh, with uh, the Chinese government. And, uh, you know, I, I think it is not too much to ask them, which is my point to Silver in my letter. What, first of all, what is the deal with China? Why aren't you saying anything as you make all this money? 
as an organization. And at the very least, if you're going to put statements on the back of jerseys, why wouldn't you allow a player to wear a free Hong Kong statement on the back? I mean, for that matter, why not support our troops? You know, I mean, what's wrong with that, too? But just on the China thing, why not free Hong Kong? Why not free the Uyghurs? That's that, that the religious minority that's in concentration camps. Because you're right, the people of China would see that. That would send a message. Uh, it, it would, I think, frankly, show that the NBA is willing to, to stand up a little bit. But, uh, you know, oh, no, we can't, we can't have any of that. You saw the reaction. Also, Adam Silver said that they had mutual respect, the NBA did for China. You just mentioned the concentration camps, the cracking down on all Hong Kong democracy, the fact that over a billion Chinese people don't have basic human rights. It should be insulting to all Americans that Adam Silver said in any way that the NBA has mutual respect for what China stands for, shouldn't it? Yeah, that's just about money. I mean, it's sure it's mutual respect for making money for NBA corporate. I mean, that's that's what it's about. Again, as it is for so many of these multinational corporations, I can tell you that the the Chinese government, Beijing, doesn't have any respect for anybody in America. And you look at the kind of respect they showed us when Daryl Morey, to your point, Clay, when he had the audacity just to retweet. As I recall, Morey didn't actually himself say anything. He just retweeted a, a one little line about Hong Kong. And look how the Beijing government came down on this American citizen by demanding he be fired, by threatening to pull all the Rockets games from television, then I think threatening to pull all of the NBA games from all of the Chinese platforms. I mean, that's not respect. That is contempt. That is an attempt to control and to, to, to subjugate us, just like they want to subjugate their own people. And for the NBA to, to, to not only turn a blind eye, but actually to cooperate, I mean, to go along with the kowtowing by saying, oh, Maureen misspoke, you know, he wasn't speaking for the league. Uh, and then Silver, all of Silver's other statements, you know, that was a, a Silver said that this was a bump in the road, uh, there, that little incident with Moray in Hong Kong, and, and that, you know, they're working on repairing the NBA's relationship with China. Repairing it? And what they should be doing is saying to Beijing, listen, we're proud to be Americans. And if you try to tell us what to think or what to say or what to do, we're going to tell you where to step off. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. 
If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and Challenge All-Star. And speaking of All-Stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the Challenge Gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're talking to Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. This is the Wins and Losses podcast. Clay Travis here. Uh, All right, so... You write that letter, which, by the way, I thought was fantastically well done. Uh, I retweeted it uh, when I saw it go out. And you also, and this is pretty commonplace, it's a big story, the way that the NBA's relationship with China is going. And so when you write a letter like this, it's not uncommon that media members would get added to a letter like this via email so you can make them aware because they cover the league, because they are uh, they should be aware of the relationship between the NBA and politicians, given that the NBA is going to be a social justice warrior organization, at least for this uh, restart of the season in Orlando and all the changes with the jersey and the statements on the court and everything else. You send it out to a variety of NBA media, and how soon after that email goes out, does Adrian Wojnarowski, and I'll say it, you may not want to curse, but he uh, he writes back, uh, fuck you. That's the entire message from his ESPN corporate email account back to your office for having the gall to ask the NBA about its response to, to, to China. How quickly does that happen? And, and who on your staff was like, oh my God, is this real? I mean, it kind of take me into how that process played out. You know, we, we got uh, that back from him. I mean, let me just look. I can look right here. Within, um, oh, two, two minutes, Clay, we sent it out at 8.55. I've got this in front of me. We, we sent out the press release about our letter to press at 8.55, and at 8.57, Woj writes back from his iPhone because it's tagged sent from my iPhone. With yeah, the message so he gets that, that sent directly to him. Two minutes later, he writes back, fuck you to a United States senator in Missouri from his ESPN <laughs> corporate email account. And did you think yeah. you were being pranked? Like when one of your staff members was like, hey, wait a minute, uh, you know, did, can you believe what Adrian Wojnarowski just wrote back? Well, I, did, I have to say, I did. I sort of looked at it. And listen, we get, you know, we get responses, uh, not no doubt. from members of the press, but, we, you know, we... we People troll us all the time, and you know, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's welcome fine. to I mean, the inter- welcome to the welcome to the internet. Yeah, there's a lot of exactly. uh, there's a lot of ridiculousness out there. So yeah, so but from exactly. a media member, have you ever seen anything like that to have that happen no. that quickly and have that response? 
No, I've never seen that response from a, from a media member before. And, uh, yeah, it, it took, you know, I, I was like, well, this, my first thought was, this, this must be fake. I mean, <laughs> well, what's the deal here? But, uh, you know, no, I mean, it's the ESPN.com. And then my, my other thought was is that, well, he's just saying what ESPN thinks. I mean, That's right. I'm frankly not surprised. My, my expectation, to be perfectly honest with you, is that ESPN would completely ignore that's this right. Because That's what they, they don't would want to cover to this do. issue at all. Yeah, absolutely. That's what they did back in October. I mean, they grudgingly, with the Hong Kong blow up and the NBA back in October, they grudgingly, as memory serves, finally got around to covering it, kinda. But you know, it's like let's let's move on as quick as possible because Clay, the ESPN, Disney, the parent company, you know, they they benefit too financially from the oh, yeah. NBA's relationship with China. I mean, let's you know, let's be honest here. Uh, so, and I'm sure in terms of, you know, their, their, their own staff members views, employees views, uh, you know, it's not woke center for nothing. So I, I was surprised by that response, but, uh, I thought, you know, this is, this is becoming all too typical of what the media, they don't, they won't report the news. They won't actually ask the tough questions. I mean, wh- why is the real question here is why isn't ESPN asking these questions of the NBA? I mean, why yeah. aren't they going and saying, Hey, hold on just a second. Are, are you not going to say anything about what's going on in this country where you make literally billions of dollars? You have nothing to do. Why aren't they pressing that? That's the real issue. Yeah, and let, let's go in here for a second to uh, to the law because both of us are lawyers. You know this better than I do because you were a freaking Supreme Court clerk, but there's a difference between providing complete First Amendment freedoms to your players to make whatever political statement they want to make on their jerseys and discriminating on content, right? Because what the NBA is basically doing is a form of propaganda. They are saying, hey, we're okay with you making political statements so long as we agree with those political statements, right? So in other words, it's not a content-neutral policy when it comes to their jersey they are selecting the, uh, the, the, uh, the opinions that the players are allowed to advertise on their jersey, and it's a very ripe moment of hypocrisy here that you can point and say, oh, you're fine ripping the United States and other institutions and taking particular sides here where there's zero risk because of all the freedoms we have, but you won't stand up for the basic human rights of others around the world that you are taking billions of dollars for. This is the very essence of what the job of sports media should be, right? To speak truth to power. Instead, you raise all these issues, and ESPN's top NBA reporter, his first response is to say, not, oh, these are interesting issues that should be explored. It's to say, fuck you, to a sitting United States senator. You know, it's you're you're right about all of that, Clay, and you're, and you're right about. I think it's just an important point that this is corporate approved speech on the back of these jerseys. My understanding is the NBA can correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that it's not like the players can just go out and say, "Oh, hey, this is what I want on the back of my jersey. We're going to do this, this cause statements. Here's what I want on mine." Uh uh-uh. uh the NBA has to approve it. So they That's right. they selected you know handful right that of these of these statements. Here are the approved. Statements and yeah, there's nothing in there about uh, Hong Kong, about China, about the concentration camps. None of that. Nor, by the way, is there anything in there like support our troops or back the blue or anything. Or God bless actually, America. 
or God bless America. You know, oh, we couldn't have that for heaven's sake. So it, this this is this is the NBA corporate saying that here's the kind of speech that you can have. And that, yeah, it just so happens to be speech that is great for their bottom line. Imagine that. So also, again, I want to circle back around to what I think is the most stunning part about this is this is ESPN really, by and large, as a corporation saying what they believe because Woj got tremendous, uh, you know, you know, applause inside of the inside of the ESPN family for saying this. Right. And you said you tweeted out like this is distracting in some ways. I mean, the reality is it gets a lot more attention and it forces ESPN to acknowledge it, at least in some way. But Woj has the right to his opinion. He can say F you to a senator if he wants to. There's no, I think he believes that and I think he means it. And I don't particularly begrudge anybody from their own ability to have their own political opinions. But when you represent an ESPN organization that's supposed to be covering the, uh, the NBA, to me, this is just illustrative of ESPN's contempt for a large percentage of their audience that they would even have somebody saying this. And by the way, do you think that Woj keeps his job if he responds this way to AOC? If Barack Obama's office sends out a press release and his immediate response is, fuck you to Barack Obama or to AOC, is there any way that he keeps his job at ESPN? In other words, you're a Republican <laughs> no, but, senator. I think he I think he can get away with saying that because there's so much support and contempt for Republicans inside of ESPN. But if he had done that to a Democratic star, I think there's a good chance he gets fired. Yeah, it's, it's probably a uh, it's probably a different standard for sure. But I, I you know, I, I Clay, I think the big thing here is that it just it just shows you that ESPN is not willing to do their job of actually a reporting and yes. b asking tough questions. And to me, that that was a significance of his email. I mean, listen, I want to be clear about something. I, I never asked for an apology from Woj. Yeah. I don't want one, and I don't want him canceled either. This isn't about. I don't. I don't. I've not asked for him to be fired. I don't want him to be. Neither fired. of us believe in have... cancel culture. That's no, not like, I don't, exactly I mean, I'm right. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent against it. So some people said to me yesterday, like, "Hey, you're trying to cancel him." I'm not trying to cancel him. I don't even want an apology from him. You know, I mean, when Whitlock asked me, "Hey, do you want Lowe's to apologize?" I said, "No, I don't want him to apologize." I mean, and the ESPN, you know, made him do this thing where they he went out and apologized. And, you know, whatever. My point is, is that that is a distraction. That whole thing is a distraction from the bottom line, which is that ESPN's attitude. As reflected by their star reporter, their attitude is, is that when you want to ask tough questions, well, it's F you. When you want to say something, well, why isn't the NBA doing that? It's F you. How dare you even pose a question? And that's the attitude. I mean, how dare you even ask? And, and my, my view is, is, wait a minute, why aren't you asking? I mean, you're the reporter. Why aren't you out there asking? Why isn't ESPN as a news organization for sports, allegedly, why aren't they pressing these questions? And it just goes back to they're they're bought in a hundred percent appear to be to the agenda, the corporate woke agenda of the NBA, and uh, they're bought in to to what's going on in China. And this is why, by the way, Clay, I said yesterday, listen, rather than you know, ESPN is is calling calling me and the Disney people are calling me. They're saying, you know, how can we talk to you? And I and I said, listen, let's just let's just get to the bottom line here. I'm inviting the ESPN CEO to my office. So I said, let's just, let's, let's talk. Let's Jimmy Patero and I, let's just sit down and talk and let's talk about the NBA and China and ESPN 
and what you guys are doing and your reporting. Let's have an open dialogue about it. So that's what I've done, by the way. For the record, I have invited him to come to Washington to sit down and talk. I want to talk to a bunch of lobbyists. I want to talk to him. I want to talk to the ESPN CEO, and I don't want to talk about Woj. I want to talk about China and the NBA and ESPN's coverage and their responsibilities. And I, I hope he'll say yes. What What have you heard, if anything, from the NBA, Disney, and ESPN so far? Is it so far just been corporate PR stooges trying to spin you? Or uh, what sort of response? It's obviously only been a day, but what sort of response have you gotten so far? Yeah, it's, it's been just, you know, oh, Woj was a – he, he was uh, out of line. I think they they put out a statement. They ESPN put out a statement yesterday afternoon, and sort of you know how he this was he was he was a very bad boy and, and uh, shouldn't have talked that way. And and uh, we'll take care of it. And he said, I you know that, that apologies are are cheap and and they don't do anything. I, you know, it, it, let's 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 get to the action. You know, let's let's get to the actually doing something about the real issue. And that's why I say I I, I haven't you know I haven't heard anything substantive from anybody. So I don't want them trotting out their employees for apologies. I, I want to see them actually standing up and asking the tough questions. And I'd like some answers from the NBA. Let's not let them off the hook. You know, I mean, ESPN here has inserted themselves into the story, uh, but uh, exposed themselves really. But, you know, the NBA, I, I expect a response from Silver. Uh, I'm awaiting a response from Silver. I've heard zero from him or from the league. And I'd like some answers to my questions. And when I get those answers, I'm certainly going to let people know. If I don't get answers, I'm going to let them know that. So I expect to hear from the NBA. And uh, I also am am looking forward to sitting down uh, with the ESPN CEO. And I hope that takes place soon. We're talking to Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. I want to finish up here. You're a sports fan. I'm a sports fan. Almost everybody listening to us right now is a sports fan. Uh, the decision by sports leagues to decide to embrace politics, and let's be honest, one side of politics. Uh, We're not talking about, like you said, very, uh, very sort of unifying things. Like it's one thing if you want to combat cancer or if you want to say, hey, we're trying to raise money for the troops, things that 99.9%, probably even larger than that, of Americans would agree on. Now we're talking about taking sides in social issues and not just taking sides, having corporate speak pick sides. Why is that bad for sports fans? Well, I mean, it just is something becomes something else that divides us. Sports, then instead of something that unites us, it becomes another way uh, that we're divided as Americans. And, and I, you know, we, we've seen this, we've, this attitude from uh, the corporate, the C-suite uh, class, the corporate class, here now for really a number of years, and it's getting worse and worse, where they increasingly look down on so much of America. Uh, the same people whose jobs are there are perfectly willing to ship out overseas and, and uh, say, you know, good luck to you, but we're going to make a quick buck by moving to China, moving to, you know, pick your country. And it's that kind of attitude that's infected the C-suite, and, and I think you're seeing that now infect the sports corporate world as well, and uh, it's it just it's a contempt for a lot of their fans and for a lot of this country, and it just turns sports into another a partisan battleground and into another way where some of America looks down on the rest of America. And you know, for for me, for you, I mean, growing up loving sports, playing sports, that's something that historically has brought this country together. It's where we've celebrated the things that we love together and that unite us as Americans. That's part of the promise of sports. And uh, I hate to see that promise broken and betrayed. 
Last question. I appreciate all the time. I know how busy you are. Missouri Senator Josh Hawley, you can go follow him on Twitter. Uh, he's been doing fantastic work here, holding what I would say the uh, the sports leagues accountable for many of their hypocrisies. Broad question here. Some people say, okay, why does this matter um, in, in terms of using the NBA as a prism and Disney and ESPN as a prism through which to, to view Chinese-American relations? Here's what I would say, and then I want you to try to sum it up as well. What I would say to people out there listening is there is a difference between someone saying, hey, we're, we want our laws to apply in our region, right? So uh, it's one thing for uh, for China to say, hey, you need to change that movie, Hollywood, in order to have this movie air in China and for American companies to make changes. It's another thing entirely for China to do what I believe they are doing now, which is saying we expect for Chinese rule of law to govern other places as well, as well, which is what they said to the NBA. Fire Daryl Morey. The First Amendment doesn't apply when you're dealing with China because there are no First Amendment rights here. And what I am seeing, and I think Hong Kong is a metaphor, Taiwan could be, the South China Sea could be as well. It is a metaphor of China's attempts to take over the world of global thought with what they are doing to the NBA they are trying to do to the rest of the globe. And so it's important for Americans to understand that their own sports are trying to be co-opted by a Chinese communist authoritarian government. That is my philosophy on why this matters in such a big way. Would you agree? How would you expound upon that idea? I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's about imperialism. It's about Chinese yeah. imperialism. The Communist Party and the Chinese Communist Party. It's not forget people of China have no say in any of this. You know, I mean, they right. they are held under the thumb of this small group of thugs. But it's about them trying to impose their authoritarian ideology on all the rest of us. And you're really, you're right, Clay. They're not content just to do that within the bounds of China. They are trying to reach into our own country to our athletes, to our markets. Uh, they're, they're trying to, to, to reach into the, the average everyday American. I mean, this is the same government, let's not forget, Chinese government, that also hacked all of our information in the, in the Equifax breach from, a couple, breach from a couple of years ago. All these folks who had their personal information stolen. Who was behind that? China was. China is actively trying to spy on everyday normal Americans all over the country every second of the day, every day of the week. And they're trying to impose their values on us. And this is why I come back to, you know, for American companies, what's wrong with being proud of being American, number one? I mean, what's, what's it's okay. So NBA, I get it. You do business all over the world. You're a global brand. Fine. But what, what's wrong with pr- being proud of being American and saying, listen, we're at least going to take a stand for the things that all Americans agree on. And all Americans agree on the right to freedom of speech. And we're yes. going to take a stand for that. Which, by the and way, we'll be, you can't put on a jersey. Freedom of speech not permitted to be on an NBA jersey. Unreal. First Amendment unreal. Not, when, per, not permitted to be on an NBA jersey. And when the Chinese government comes then to us as Americans and comes to this country and says, no, you can't talk about this, that, and the other. You can't talk about your American principles in your own country without threat of censorship from China. We have a problem. And that's why I just think it's not, it doesn't take a lot of courage here, by the way, for these corporations and for NBA corporate to actually say, whoa, 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 we're drawing the line right there. We're not going to let you tell us what to do. Because Clay, the thing is, 
it's only going to get worse. You know, if NBA corporate thinks that bowing the knee to China is on these issues is going to stand them in good stead, if they think, you know, to use silver straight, that we have mutual respect, they are dead wrong. China is going to continue to tighten the screws. They're going to continue to hold hostage corporations who won't do what they want them to do. And I, I just think that, you know, the American people deserve to actually have uh, their, these, these corporations take a stand and, and say, you know, we're not, we're not afraid to be American, and we're not, we're not afraid to stand up for America. Amen. Keep fighting the good fight, Senator. Uh, go follow Senator Josh Hawley on uh, Twitter. This podcast, if you enjoy it, share it with your friends. We need to get you on again sometime soon because I want to dive into a lot of these issues that I agree with you on about the tech companies and the way that China and other foreign interests are manipulating American opinion, uh, I think, frankly, illegally, but also surreptitiously through our uh, social media platforms, which I know you've been a big uh, investigator and proponent of uh, spending more time on that as well. Thank you for all the time. Thank you for the good work, Senator, and please keep us updated uh, on uh, what the NBA, what ESPN, and uh, what what certainly Disney says about uh, your request for information. You bet, Clay. Thanks for having me. That is Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. I'm Clay Travis. This has been the Wins and Losses podcast. Thanks for listening. Go listen and subscribe. You're going to love these conversations. And always listen to Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio and read Outkick.com. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.